Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Startup the Science. I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. Today's episode features Eric Gottenholm. Gosh, I am so sorry if I'm pronouncing that really badly. Um, It's a Swedish name, and I'm not Swedish, so please forgive me. He is the CEO and co-founder of Cell Inc. But before I get into that, I wanted to let you know about AdmaCamp. Antonia and I and the Enum team are currently working on an advanced materials online bootcamp, AdmaCamp, which is going to be taking place from the 11th to the 15th of May. And what it is, it's an online bootcamp for advanced materials startups, and it's full of mentoring sessions, pitch training, IP guidance, and investors workshop, and a big fat demo day at the end. So it's something you don't want to miss. If you want to learn more, go to www.enum.berlin slash admicamp. And applications are now open. So if you're an early stage advanced materials or material science startup, send us your pitch deck. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's very simple to apply. Just send your pitch deck to info at enum.berlin or visit the website. I'll leave all the information in the description and whoever's listening out there, I hope we see you at AdmaCamp. Now, getting back to Cell Inc. Cell Inc. has made the world's first bio ink for 3D bioprinting. So basically, they 3D print human tissue, which in my mind is the stuff of science fiction and movies. But I promise you, it's 100% reality. I hope you find this episode as fascinating and educational as I've found it. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Eric, the CEO and co-founder of Selling. Hi, Eric. Welcome to our podcast. We're very excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for for having me. It's, It's a pleasure to be here. We have lots of questions for you because um, we've done quite a bit of research for the episode today. It's a very interesting field that we'll be covering. But um, first, I'd like to start off with an introduction. Could you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and your company? Sure, absolutely. My name is Eric. I'm the uh, the co-founder and CEO of, uh, of Cell Inc. We are the first bio ink company in the world and a leading provider of bioprinters and technologies that can enable printing of human tissues and organs. So it's a it's a very exciting technology. It's a it's a very early technology, very disruptive to to many different fields. But that's that's kind of what we really like. It it has the potential to truly impact uh, the healthcare industry and hopefully generations to come. Great, thank you. Um, let's start off with a more uh, general topic. Can you tell us what bioprinting is? How does it work? Sure. So bioprinting is a relatively new technology. It, it came about 20, 30 years ago when a professor called Professor uh, Thomas Boland, uh, he essentially invented this this great technology. He was working with uh, with human cells uh, in his laboratory and, and, and he wanted to find ways to position these cells in a certain arrangement. And what he did was that he took he he looked at a lot of different technologies and 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 something that he saw was was very interesting was he saw a resemblance or or the the uh, similarities of what a regular paper printer can do in terms of accuracies and positions 
and kind of connected those dots and said, well, if a paper printer uh, that prints inks on papers can print these tiny little droplets that are tens of microns, uh, well, then so can, perhaps it can also print cells. So what he did is he took a regular paper printer and, and he emptied the cartridge, he emptied out the ink, and then he put in uh, human cells instead. And, and then he wrote his initials on the computer, uh, so TB, and, um, and then he went ahead and pressed uh, print. And the printer went out and, 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 and it started printing and it printed out the initials uh, with the human cells. And, you know, that was essentially the start. So it's a really, really cool beginning of this this entire industry, and since then this industry has grown tremendously. So, so from those early days when he when he essentially invented this, the industry has now become mainly focused on developing these these printers that are specifically now designed to print dif- different tissues and different cells. So printing the very in a very cell friendly way so the cells survive, and then also then using a material. Uh, that you embed these cells in so that they will uh, feel at home. Because when you just print the cells using a regular paper printer, for instance, then um, they're not placed in an environment at which they feel at home, like in the human body. So, so that's kind of the, the you know, that's the that's the basis behind the, the the entire industry. And what's driving this industry so fast is because it's so exciting to work in. You have essentially a, a completely new way of culturing your cells, your your human cells, which which excites a lot of researchers and scientists because uh, it opens a lot of different doors. You know, the, for instance, tests that have been done on. On animals in the past, for instance, testing of new cosmetic products and cosmetic creams can now be tested on printed skin, can be used for a wide range of different tests. And, and, and I think that's what makes this so exciting. So one of the things that I found very interesting as I was reading up on bioprinting before our recording was the variety of applications that it can be used for. My first thought would have been that organ transplant is the most obvious use and uh, particularly in printing um, tissue and later on maybe a more futuristic uh, version of printing actual organs. But I also found uh, found out during the brief research I did that um, it can be used for drug discovery as well as for um, cosmetic testing, for example. So I'm curious to know which of the many possible applications you're focusing on now, if you can tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good observation. I mean, the... First of all, you know, the futuristic application of, of bioprinting is definitely to be able to treat patients with organ replacements and, and, and tissue replacements and, and repairs and whatnot to, to then, of course, print this tissue, implant it into a patient and, 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 and help with the healing process. And while, while it's super futuristic, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a technology that's moving in the right direction, but it, it is far off. I mean, we're talking 10, 15 years away. Until until we can look into clinical or, or or patient specific applications. So in the meantime, our our focus today and what we provide our technology mainly for is is actually for the development of drugs. So uh, pharmaceutical companies and academic institutions and researchers they use our our printers and and these inks that we sell then to print different tissues, different human tissues that they can then test the drugs on. So for instance, if if you're a pharmaceutical company and you're working on developing a new cancer drug or oncology treatment, then you can they can use the printer, you can even take cells directly from the patient. You can 
put these cells inside of the ink and, and then you print out thousands of this patient's cancer tumor and then you can test different drugs on that tumor. So, so first of all, not only will you know, you know, which type of medication could potentially work on this tumor, but also which medication would specifically work on that patient. So it's a, it's a whole new way of thinking about drug discovery and the development of drugs. So you can minimize the risk by not testing the drugs directly on patients, but by doing so in a controlled environment with bioprinting. That makes perfect sense. Is it also a way of making the drug discovery process more efficient? From that perspective, the most important thing is that it, it, it can speed up the drug process. So, you know, knowing, for instance, that uh, a drug is going to work or not going to work on a patient or, or in clinical settings is very important. And pharmaceutical companies, they want to find out about that as soon as possible. So if you're investing, you know, $2 billion, which it can cost on average to develop a new drug, if you can invest less of that money or if you can if you can understand a lot earlier whether a drug will work or not work in the clinical setting then then that's a you know that's a great thing to understand for for the decision making process so so with that being said you know if, if you're developing this drug and you're and you're and you're testing this cancer treatment on a on a human sample or in a human printed cancer tumor you see it's not working at all well, let's say you test it on a human printed or a printed human liver or, or a piece of a liver and you see, well, this is killing all the cells and this is killing that tissue. Perhaps you shouldn't proceed with that drug in that case or that, or that molecule or compound because it could have damaging effects in later stages. So, so I think the main goal right now is, is definitely to help pharmaceutical companies save time and money and, and for them to push through the right pharmaceutical compounds through the uh, drug development process and help them make decisions quicker. I mean, we, we always think about, you know, the success of something every time we think uh, of products and, and how to, you know, how do you develop a successful product, but developing a successful product or treatment also includes failing quicker. Because if you fail fast and you understand what will not work, that will get you one step closer to what will work. So speaking of speeding up the drug discovery process, one thing that the entire world is focused on at the moment is finding a vaccine or a cure for coronavirus. Is bioprinting something that could help in that process, particularly in the vaccine research? So it's that's a it's a great question, and I think this is definitely the right time for uh, for looking into how different technologies could impact the development of different vaccines and and how to proceed with with certain vaccines or not proceed with others. Um, at this time, we I, I don't think that anybody's using bioprinting specifically for um, for the development of vaccine. That would not be the the right venue for this technology. That there are a lot better technologies that are used for that, but we do have uh, systems in house. So so we recently actually launched a a, a PCR, a real time PCR system, uh, which can be used to um, to test for the virus. And that's something very interesting because we see a lot of different companies, a lot of different technologies are now spearheaded towards uh, either developing a vaccine or developing a faster testing method. So that's essentially the two priorities of the industry today. And, you know, from our end, we're always good on the testing side. We, we like to be on the testing side and, and, and show how, how different tests can lead to a certain decision. And, and, and that's why we recently launched that product. But I, I do see also that in the future, you know, using bioprinting technologies for vaccine development is a, is a possibility. And I know there was a study that was conducted at, at a technical university of Berlin, I think 
was a year or two years ago, where they actually used our our bioprinter and inks for for studying the uh, the SARS virus, and this was a this was a very interesting study, and I can. Uh, um, you know, I can say this, it was definitely on, on the very innovative cutting edge side of, of using this technology platform. So I don't want to say that there's, it doesn't have potential for it in the vaccine development, but, but as of right now, I know I don't, I don't know anybody or any researchers specifically working on, on, on a vaccine uh, using the bioprinting technology yet. Right. So it's more used in the, in the testing, but not as much in the, in the vaccine development. I would say it's it's mainly used for drug discovery or specific treatments and understanding, you know, the correlation between a new treatment and tissue. And, you know, when, when it comes to developing a, a drug or vaccine for a virus, that's that's a different beast. So so it's kind of a it's uh, it's a little bit different world uh, for 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 these type of technologies. Before we get carried away with more general questions about biolinks and bioprinting, Let's get into more about selling and what your company does and the products you developed. Could you tell us what you do and how it all began? Sure. So, um, you know, as a company, we, uh, we're really, really passionate about new technologies. Um, and, and that's something that we've, we've brought with us from the, from the very early days. But when, we, when it comes to kind of the culture and the vision and mission mission behind the company it's it's for us to develop the the greatest cell technologies in the world and when i say cell technologies we mean anything that can enable a researcher to culture their cells uh, in a better environment or doing it faster or cheaper and that can in turn then lead to researchers and scientists taking better decisions so that's that's pretty broad and and that's of course not how everything started when we started the company uh, we uh, we start off as the first bio ink company in the world, and and the way that came about, I had recently moved to Sweden, so so I grew up in the U.S. I, I was born in Sweden, but moved at a ver- at a relatively young age over to the U.S. And at, in 2014, I decided to pursue my MBA, and that was in in the city that I was born, so Gothenburg, Sweden. I got into the program. I I, I moved from the U.S. And, and I started to get involved in, in in my studies at Gothenburg University. It was a, it was a very exciting time. At that time, I had already been involved in, in, in managing and running a startup in, in the U.S. For, for, for about six, seven years. I made a small exit from that company, and essentially the exit was small enough for me to, to afford buying an apartment in Sweden. And I think from, from my side, my interest has always been uh, in the life sciences industry, I've always had a tremendous compassion for for patients and people. I, I I'm very fascinated with the ability of us humans being able to create something with our hands and and, and using our brains to to come up with solutions and ideas that uh, are relatively simple, but can make a tremendous impact for patients and people. And you know. When, when we all think about the healthcare industry, it's so easy to get carried away with all the approvals and the requirements and regulations and policies. But at the end of the day, you know, when we look at the products that are actually making a, a tremendous impact on the healthcare industry today, you know, it's, it's products that are relatively basic. They, they've been around for, for decades and their purpose is to stop bleeding, to, to clean wounds, to uh, 
uh, to sanitize surfaces and make sure that that people uh, essentially keep their wounds healthy and and they heal. So, so everything is is uh, these are relatively simplistic products, but they make such a tremendous impact. And and you don't quite understand the impact of these products until you're faced with that traumatic experience of of being injured. So I think you know the the passion for for everything that we do at Selink is essentially. Uh, evolved around this idea that creating technologies that could enable patients, uh, improve the life of patients, that's our, our key. And whether that's, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, or or, uh, or, or now, that, that doesn't matter too much. We developed the latest and the greatest technologies that can enable that. So when I had just come to Sweden, that's uh, that's when I actually got involved with this new cool idea that that my father introduced to me. He was um, he's a professor at Chalmers University in Gothenburg, and he had developed a new innovative material that he said could be used for culturing cells. It's a very novel material. He had worked on it for about seven, eight years, and uh, one day I, he invited me to his lab, and he said, "Hey, you know, you come by and and, and take a look at this material and 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 see what you know, see what you think about it. This this is what I work with." And at that time, I was also very interested in the 3D printing industry and additive manufacturing, which started to come about very strongly. It was it was hyped everywhere. I mean, this 3D printing, you, you were you're supposed to 3D print every, everything at home, right? So everybody was buying 3D printers. Uh, you had companies like uh, Ultimaker and and uh, MakerBot and, and and a few others that were essentially just thriving because they had pushed forward these thousand two thousand dollar 3d printers that people could now afford to have at home so i actually had my own MakerBot at home and i was i was fascinated about the capability of, of designing a component printing that component using a filament and then using that component for purpose and for rapid prototyping and and, and develop something very quickly so i essentially put two and two together and said well okay so here we have a new material it's it's a material that's that's soft. It works really well with human cells. The cells they grow and thrive within it. And then we looked at the 3D printing industry, and we said, well, there's this technology coming about called 3D bioprinting. It's a subset of 3D printing, but instead of using plastics and hard materials, you essentially use a soft materials and human human cells. And by doing that, you have the ability of printing essentially tissue. So. If you want to print cartilage, well, then you have to use cartilage cells. These are called chondrocytes. You put these cells inside of, of a gel that resembles cartilage, human cartilage. And, and then you print out an ear or a nose or a, or a part of a knee or whatever it is that, that, that you want to print out. So, so I did a fairly quick Google search around and see, you know, is there a material that can be used for bioprinting? And, and what I started to find was that there were mostly just printer companies out there. So there were a lot of companies that were, you know, that were selling these very, very expensive printers that would cost $300,000. And it surprised me a little bit that nobody was focusing on making an ink specifically for bioprinting. So again, you know, it, it was just an opportunity and I jumped on it. So I said, I'm going to start the first bio ink company in the world. And that was it. I took this material. I actually, I, I purchased that the patents and the IP from my father, and then I decided to to start the first bio ink company. I, I got together with uh, one of his students. Uh, his name his name was Hector. We got together about the you know doing this together, and and uh, and that was the start of the the entire journey. And this was this was sometime in 2015, about about in the beginning or mid- middle of 2015. So from that, essentially, we figured out okay, so now we have an ink. And the funny part was. 
the same day that we launched the website, we actually got our first web web shop or, or e-commerce order uh, for a couple of cartridges of the ink. And that was super exciting because, you know, that was, who would have known that, you know, that people are out there Googling and searching for bio inks that can be used for bioprinting, especially at, at that time. Uh, but apparently there was a demand for the products and and we we managed to match with the buyer which is a, which is an extremely first good first step for any startup uh and and started showing some revenue and can we ask who the buyer was yeah it was it was it was from um a university of michigan um uh, it was a researcher who was who was working with uh, tissue engineering uh so so very very interesting um uh, application and you know he he bought five cartridges, so it was, it was a great first order. So this might be a dumb question, but we like to ask dumb questions sometimes on this podcast just to make it all very clear. Um, so as far as I understand, right, so you started about five years ago. At the time, there were no other bio inks on the market, or were there others, but yours was very different because it was a new material? There were no inks on the market. That You know, m- most researchers were either making their own Actually, that's that's what people were doing. People were making their own inks in their labs, and and they were trying to use those inks for for the experiments and for the research. The challenge with that is that it's such a high variation. Uh, there's such a high variation of that material that they make in the labs. So what we essentially brought to the market was a very standardized ink or material that had very high reproducibility. So if you're a researcher and you need to print you know, 1,000 of the same tissue piece or, or structure. Well, then you need to have a really, really reproducible ink. And that was our, you know, that was our, our strength. So the ink has to then resemble human tissue, right? Or it has to be material that our bodies can accept. Yeah, exactly. So, so it has to be, has to be biocompatible. And we kind of, you know, we set up this, this, our own standard essentially internally. So, so if, if we were to develop another ink or a new ink, it had to follow this standard, and we call the standard BPU. So the first, the B stands for biocompatibility. So, so the ink um, it had to be biocompatible with either with the human body or or with the cells that you print with. So, when you print when you put the cells inside there, uh, they would survive. They would go on and you know live and produce whatever they should and 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 do the functions that they're supposed to do in the body. P stands for printability. So so you you have to be able to print it. If you want to print an ear, it needs to look like an ear. Uh, if you want to print a nose, it needs to look like a nose. It shouldn't collapse or break apart. And U stands for universality. So, so it needs to work with a wide range of cell types. So it needs to work with uh, a wide range of different materials as well so that it's not corrosive or, or acidic or, or, or kills things around it. So, so that was kind of our, you know, we, we, we set that standard for ourselves and then we started to develop more inks. But what was, I think, most exciting for this journey was that, you know, initially, while we did get orders for the inks, we also saw that the demand for inks was, was a little bit slower than we expected. But that was because of the fact that the printers were so expensive. So you know, so if you were if you were a researcher at let's say Technical University of Berlin, uh, for, for for this sake, uh, which is a great school, if you're a researcher wanting to do bioprinting, well then you have to buy a printer for two hundred thousand dollars or more. 
And to do that, you have to apply for funding. And to apply for funding takes several months, and then it has to be approved by the government, and then they pay out the grants, and then you get started. So it's it's a long process of of six to twelve months at least to to get started with that. And and perhaps you know when you get started with it, let's say you're doing your PhD, so you get started after you know twelve fourteen months, and and then you only have very few years left of of doing your research on it, and then it takes you probably also you know, six to eight months to get started with these printers because, you know, the, the very expensive ones, they're, they're very, very complex and complicated to work with. So what we realized was that, you know, for this industry to really take off, we have to make bioprinting accessible. And that, again, that was that was an opportunistic view of the entire industry, an opportunistic view of, of where we were. And we simply just took the opportunity and, and, and did something about it. So, so we started developing what what then became the most cost cost effective bioprinter in the world. So we launched a printer that would cost four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars, and with that, we enabled essentially everyone around the world the ability to work with this. Because the fact is, if this technology is supposed to change or impact the world of medicine, well, then we can't just let the most privileged or the most well-funded institution work with it. We have to enable everyone to work with it because the next great, you know, cancer treatment could come from could come from India, could come from China, it could come from Japan, it could come from from the US. It doesn't matter where these researchers are. There are brilliant researchers all over the world. But if they don't have the capacity to work with this great technology, nothing will come out of it. And that of course disrupted the entire industry. So you first developed the BioInc, and then you realized that more could be done if there were more affordable uh, bioprinters out there that everyone could have access to. And you then went on to develop the bioprinters. Do these work just with your ink, or do they work with other materials as well? No, it was it was it was actually an open source platform. So so we wanted to contribute with a good open source platform to the to the community. And that's what we uh, that's what we brought to the market. So it worked with a lot of different materials. It worked with a lot of different cell types, and it was super easy to work with. You know, four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars came in the box. You took it out of the box, pop it up on your lab bench, and you're printing within you know ten fifteen minutes. So super super easy to work with. That's amazing. So can can anyone buy this? Could we order a bioprinter right now, even though we wouldn't know what to do with it? But is it available for, for yes, anyone? Yes, and actually you should. <laughs> you should. Yes. <laughs> how many do you need? <laughs> I'm going to take two. So how, how many labs are using your, your bioprinters at the moment? So today we, we are in about seven, 800 laboratories with the printers. And of course, with, with all of the technologies that we offer in the company, we're, we're close to a thousand laboratories. And that's just essentially four years of business. So, so it's, been, it's been a very, very fast journey. And you know, I've had the fortune of actually being in many of these labs. So, so the first two, three years of the business, myself and Hector, we, we dedicated our time to go visit these customers because we realized that for us, it's not enough to just build the company and, and, and offer products online and, and sell these printers and inks and then hope that somebody will you know, come up with something cool. For us, we understood that there is a little bit of a, of a learning curve with all new technologies. And if we are to uh, really get this thing to take off, well, then, then we need to we need to spend time with these customers. We need to we need to help them to get started. So so we traveled around the world and we visited these labs, and we met these professors and researchers, and we worked with them. 
and and you know we answered all their questions in person. So you know, so the last last two three years, we've we've been in oh man, three hundred four hundred laboratories. So that's amazing and definitely a very impressive startup story. So you've uh, started about five years ago and since then you've expanded to over 50 countries, many different labs around the world. What is the one achievement in your company's history that you're most proud of? Uh, it's, that's a good question. I mean, boiling it down to one thing, it, it must be the team. I mean, the the team that we've managed to build and the the amazing people that we have on board you know everybody who is who's working tirelessly to continue the mission and the vision of the company i mean it's it's beautiful to see how so many different type of people different type of backgrounds and different type of expertise when it comes together into a team what can be done um and it's and it's truly the 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 foundation of of our innovative technologies so i mean so at the company we we have more than 30 30 different uh, nationalities. We are we're an extremely diverse business with you know with people from different engineering disciplines and backgrounds. We have uh, chemists, uh, cell biologists, we have marketeers, salespeople, finance people, everything under one roof. And we even produce all of our products in-house. So so we've managed to essentially build this single unit can do it all and one-stop shop for for all of these cool technologies so so i think that's 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 the that's the most proud thing uh for us really the team and 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 what we're capable of doing together and you have about 200 employees is that right yeah we're we're about we're about 200 people we have and we have offices in um, boston virginia uh, blacksburg virginia we have an office in um, Gothenburg, of course, is our is our um, uh, European and Asian headquarter. Uh, recently, with with an acquisitions of of companies in in Germany, I I love Germany. I, I love German companies. Uh, so so we've we've gone into acquiring a few German companies in the last couple of months. So so one in Freiburg and one in Stuttgart. We have offices now in Lyon, uh, London, Kyoto. So, so we're really expanding all over the world, and I think that's what that's what makes this this uh, journey so exciting. You know, the possibilities of of adding so much so much new technology, but also working so closely with customers. That's great, and clearly you're already very successful, and most of your wishes are coming true. But if you were to have one additional wish uh, for your startup right now, what would that be? More time in the day. You know, just just give me one more hour per day. <laughs> oh, that's a good. I mean, one. that's. Uh, and what would you do with it? Yeah, what would I do with it? Uh, so you know, it's it's a fu- it's a funny just just for that one. Um, we have a board a board member and and uh, our board of directors. He's 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 fantastic, great guy. Um, he always says it's it's a it's a pretty funny statement. But he says, you know, you only have twenty five hours per day if you skip lunch. So that's it. You know, always keep that in mind too, to make sure that you know you spend spend all the time really wisely. But what could you have? Um, what what could we have, or what what could we do if we had something uh, something special? I mean, we, you know, for us, it's it's always about people. Uh, always finding uh, better individuals that are better suited for future challenges. So people who have done the journey in the past or people who are you know very very passionate about it, about certain parts about life so so people that are passionate about electrical engineering or people that are passionate about about sales people that are passionate about marketing and how to 
project image of the company and the products everywhere. Uh, that's something we're always looking for. And, and I think we're always going to be looking for great people because businesses are a constellation of great people and great minds that are put together. Um, and then the rest is, you know, the, the rest is what these people will figure out. So when you say you're always looking for people, are you hiring at the moment in case any of our listeners are interested in joining your company? Yeah, I mean we're 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 always uh, we're always looking. We're always on the lookout. Of course, now it's more challenging times due to the uh, uh, due to the crisis. But of course, as soon as we come out of that, I I know we're we're always in need of of great people. So so if you're if you're listening, reach out to me. Reach out to us and and let's talk. Tell us tell us and tell me what you're passionate about. I'd love to hear it. Who knows? You may be getting some some new applications after this. Um, on the note of how you and your company are coping now in the very challenging environment in which we're all working from home and trying to figure out how to do things differently during uh, the coronavirus crisis, what would you advise startups as well as large companies? How should they work from your experience so that they can cope with this challenging situation a bit better? It's a great question because we... I mean, we see so many different companies are, uh, we see so many different situations. And, and I think some of them are very unfortunate. We see companies folding, startups, small businesses, restaurants, uh, you know, this it's very sad to see businesses go out of business. And uh, it's really affecting the the overall economy and, and the world we live in because it's it's so quick. And it's something that, that people, we don't really quite understand how it can be so quick. But what we've done as a company to cope is, you know, we we look at look at ways to perhaps introduce alternative products. Look at ways how we can support the local economies, support the local governments with products that we are good at manufacturing. So, so one thing that we're really good at is, of course, making these gels. I mean, we we uh, uh, we're one of the leaders. Uh, or we are the lead, the global leader in making bio inks, but we're also one of the leading companies making gels for for life science industries. So you know, so again, an opportunistic perspective is very important, and 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 being optimistic during these times. We actually recently launched a program where we're going to change some of the manufacturing of our inks and gels to making hand sanitizer. And and I think that's an important step to take. We have to look at how can we, as a life sciences company work responsibly and 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 do what we do best and provide uh, these these technologies and products to the government and to the nation when in need. And I think it's our responsibility to do that. So so actually quite coincidentally we just really uh, we just received an, an an order now for for 60,000 bottles of of uh, of hand sanitizers. It's it's very positive. It's going to be uh, distributed and and provided to to Swedish hospitals and I think that's you know that's that's something that that more more companies should look into doing if they have the expertise and if they have the capacity. People need it. People need help. People, uh, hospitals and and uh, you know national services and government are are in, are in great need of these types of products. And and if you can help in any way, then then this is the time to do it. That's a very good point. And I think many other companies, especially in life sciences as well as hardware. And really across the wide variety of fields could shift their focus temporarily and make products or services um, to, to help us all deal a little bit better and maybe even find solutions for, um, for the current crisis. 
Um, thank you so much for all of your insights. It was a very interesting conversation, definitely for me and I'm sure for our audience too. Is there anything else that you would like to add, anything you'd like to announce, anything at all that you'd like our listeners to know about? Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to talk to you guys. And, and uh, I, I know we wanted, to, uh, I, I, we wanted to do this in person. Of course, the crisis came came in the middle and I'm glad that we could find time to talk anyway. I still hope that I can come by and visit uh, in, in the near future and, and get to meet you guys. But, um, uh, you know, from our side, we, we're always looking for people, as I mentioned. We, we would love to to see how people can reach out. Go to our website, sellink.com, uh, or reach out to us through our LinkedIn and just, you know, strike a conversation. It's, it's, uh, it's as easy as that. Thank you so much. And thank you for um, agreeing so fast to be on our podcast and for adapting to these new circumstances. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in Berlin, hopefully in the next month or who knows, hopefully. <laughs> and thanks so much. Have a great day. Great. Great. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup the Science. I wanted to let you know that Startup the Science is now on patreon.com. Antonia and I work for the Innovation Network for Advanced Materials, which is Enum Berlin. It's a nonprofit organization, and we do this podcast as a side project alongside our main duties at Enum. We do it because we love doing it, but we also do it because we love supporting scientific startups. We love helping them grow, and we ultimately want to see them succeed. If you'd like to do that with us and could spare the price of a cup of coffee or a really nice cup of coffee, then head over to patreon.com slash startupthescience and donate what you can. Again, thanks so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you again next time.